Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Bridget Fettersey. She's a comedian, writer, and a podcast host. When California isn't on fire, it's having Amazon trains looted and stores robbed without prosecution. Bridget and her new baby bump has managed to survive. But aside from the dangers of LA, what dangers does the culture hold for men's and women's roles in modern society? Expect to learn whether Bridget looks back on her 20s and 30s differently now that she's a mother, her thoughts on shuts, shut slamming, <laughs> slut shaming, whether we need to have an opinion on everything, why American homeless people are so scary, why motherhood is so uncelebrated in modern culture, whether there's such a thing as too much freedom from norms, and much more. I have to say that I've really enjoyed both conversations this week with Nina Power and Bridget about men's and women's roles in modern society. I think that when you're talking about evolutionary psychology and quasi-red pilly manosphere dating dynamic stuff, that it can often feel like you are pointing the finger at one particular sex and saying, well, this is this is all your fault. And a lot of the time that happens to be pointing the finger at women. And I don't think that that is... Uh, a productive, effective, or correct solution to this problem. So I really, really enjoyed both conversations this week. And this one with Bridget is good. I also like that she pushes back against a bunch of my ideas. So yeah, it was uh, it was very, very fun. I hope that you enjoyed this one. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Mission. Mission believes that the world has a caffeine problem. And they're probably right. They've created a new range of 100% natural hot and cold performance teas as alternatives to coffee and energy drinks. Provide something that we all need more of, sustainable energy. Mission has won Great Taste Awards and Sport Nutrition Product of the Year by Runners World and become part of the daily routine of England cricket players, hundreds of GB athletes, Premier League footballers, F1 teams, business leaders and thousands of other self-improvers. It's for anybody that wants to improve themselves mentally and physically, but doesn't want to be jittery and unable to sleep on a nighttime. Less coffee, less caffeine drinks, less energy drinks with more sustained energy and no crashes. 95% of customers said that they felt an improvement in their energy levels after trying it for 30 days. Whether you're looking for better energy, enhanced performance or boosted recovery, Mission has a tea that will fit your requirements. And if you are struggling with the side effects of too much caffeine or you simply want to cut back, swap a few of your daily coffees for Mission and reward your mind and body with natural, sustainable energy. Head over to missionuk.com and enter the code MW20 at checkout. That's MW20 at missionuk.com for 20% off everything site-wide and they ship internationally, so you can dial your caffeine back and get even better sustainable energy throughout the day with all natural teas from Mission, missionuk.com and MW20. In other, other news, this episode is brought to you by DW Aligners. You can get the perfect straight smile that you have always wanted within six months, 70% cheaper than other invisible align methods. You might have heard of invisible aligners. They incrementally change the position of your teeth to create a straighter smile. You put different guards in over the course of time. You check in with a dentist to make sure that you are progressing appropriately. And then when you are finished, you will have a perfect straight smile. They even have nighttime aligners, which allows you to do straight teeth while you sleep. So if you can't wear your aligners during the day, you can just wear them at night and you will still get the same amazing results. Not only that, but you get a free premium whitening kit with every plan. So now you don't just have straight teeth, but you also have white teeth. 
You're given a treatment coordinator to help you every step of the way, and their artificial intelligence scanning system means that you don't have to take trips to the dentist. It is an easier, quicker, and cheaper way to get the smile you've always dreamed of while still receiving all the support and expertise that you would traditionally, plus they also offer great finance plans. Head to dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom. That's dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom. You can see all the packages, their daytime and nighttime aligners. You can check it out and see just why you get it for 70% cheaper than everywhere else. dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom. But now, please give it up for Bridget Fettersy. We were just talking about California and mm. the, the state of everything at the moment. Aren't they just about to increase the taxes again? Uh, yes, I believe there is some kind of proposal on the board to double the taxes because they're trying to do the first um, like single-payer health care system on a statewide level for everyone no matter your immigration status no matter i mean everyone basically <laughs> anyone you get health care and you get health care and look i think our health care system in america is it is uh a disaster of epic proportions in many ways and if you don't have help navigating it or you're not rich it it's challenging and it's bankrupted people and there's no transparency. You just, you don't, you know, something costs, there's no like clear cut cost. It's like, if you have insurance, it costs this. If you have cash, maybe you can get it for this. And it feels very crazy to me. So, um, in terms of like, and then like mental health care, you know, just, you can't get, if you move states, you can't see the therapist that you're seeing in the other state if they're not licensed and all this occupational licensing, which is insane. And it just um, it seems very overly complicated. One of the things that I noticed while I was out in Austin was the the homeless people that were there, like American homeless people have another level of crazy to them because we have homeless here in the UK, you know, but I've been around a lot of homeless people. I work in nightlife, so I've been... The only people out at 2 a.m. are club promoters, people in parties, and the homeless. So I've been around them an awful lot, unsupervised on the street, maybe when they've had a bit to drink or whatever else. But walking just down the street in Austin, near an underpass, and these guys will be talking to themselves, they're pushing something along, they're really sort of jittery and forthcoming and aggressive... It made me, I don't get nervous around people very much, but yeah. there's another like level of crazy. Now imagine being there. a pregnant woman walking around a city like that. Um, and it's everywhere. Yeah, there's another, it certainly seems to me like that's been aggravated as well. I don't know if it's the drugs. I don't know if it's um, the society a combination of all those factors, but the number I, there is not a single day that goes by that I don't walk my dog and, or go out and do errands and have to kind of, you evade know, evade someone evade or, or cross the street or 
completely reroute from someone who's clearly talking to themselves. You're like, I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't, I and does don't this, know. Does it matter where you go? Is this pretty much across most neighborhoods now in LA? Uh, yeah, it's, pr- it's everywhere. I mean, some better than others, obviously. I'm not, I'm not living in a gated community. And even those communities are being affected by like armed robberies and things that were kind of unheard of. So they're getting more, I think, um, like robberies, car break-ins and, uh, violent crime that's happening. Perfect time for double taxes. Yes. I know. Yes. I know. So yeah, it, it seems kind of crazy to me. We were talking about this on Dumpster Fire, my dumb little, like, whatever it is show. And we were saying, like, is this just a way to punish the people who have stayed in California? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't heed the signs, idiots. <laughs> hey, idiots, if you need another reason. I know, and it's so hard as, you know, I'm a small business owner now, technically. And... It's hard. I I just with payroll taxes and the actual taxes. And then yesterday we got a, a letter from LADWP, which is our water and power. And these these companies operate like um, mafias because they have no accountability and no competition. So they get to just do whatever they want. And they're like, oh, you your water was in like this category for one month out of 12 months. And we're just letting you know that water is going up if you're in this category and they don't, they don't have any resources devoted to collecting water. Like this is the they've caused this problem and they, they pass it off to their, the people who are using water and they should be. Fuck me. It's craziness, yeah, and and there's nothing again, no transparency. You don't know like what where that water is coming from or <laughs> what. It's just it's craziness. It's and Ooh. the yeah, I mean, don't even get me started on like the grids burning all the the forest down, and literally nobody is accountable for that ever. We were saying about how crazy it is that certain people leave. You realize there's people that have been in certain cities for their entire life. Malice leaving New York, for me, that was the biggest red flag that anyone could have waved because that guy was in love with that city. Oh, that's like Carol Markowitz as well. I don't know that. She's another person. She's a writer and uh, um, she was at the New York Post and she, she was like the diehard New Yorker. I mean, she really... Again, like it comes from a Russian family, very much like Malice. I think they know each other. And she was just in love with Brooklyn and New York. And when I would see her there, she would take me to all these cool spots. And she just absolutely loved that city. And they left for Florida. And I was like, I'm, you know, if you have stock in New York, you should be selling it right now. (laughs) So bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like for Michael to leave, that said pretty much everything that I needed to know. But it's... uh, Everything that I see, I'm not in these cities, right? I haven't been to LA in a couple of years. I haven't been to New York in a couple of years. Although I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks, actually. So I guess I'll get to see a little bit of it on the ground. I think why, why would you let the city get to this stage? Like if it if it's people that like podcasters and normal people tweeting on the streets, if they have a problem with it, let alone the public policy people that are supposed to actually have aspirations for these cities. Uh, why? Why? Why is it they don't care? Do they not know what they're doing? Is it negligent? Is it malignant? Is it malicious? I I don't actually know because I would have an answer, and then a lot of other people would have a different answer. They would say, 
Um, I would say I think it's a combination of incompetence, uh, overcompensation. Um, in California and New York, these are single rule, you know, single party ruled states where there dominantly is no balance or competition. So there's very little. It's all just progressive policies. And, you know, Michael, Michael Schellenberger does a really great job, I think, of recently looking at how these progressive policies, however well-intentioned they might be, um, are destroying these cities. And I prefer to try and give people the benefit of the doubt and, and say these come from good intentions. Although if you're on the right wing and in certain factions of it, you'll say this is part of it. They, they like in, in an attempt to achieve some kind of utopia, you've got to let some cities burn and some people die. And that's just part of the process. So it's, it's like this from, from a right wing kind of perhaps hyperbolic, perhaps not perspective. This is what communism does. Goddamn globalists, man. Goddamn <laughs> fucking globalists. Like, it's commies. It's those commies. <laughs> and, you know, we joke and call it California. And it's, it's, it's a, funny because it's kind of true so and i don't know enough about these things i just don't i can only observe it from like a working class perspective man on the street and you know the the idea that people can just move is also one that i bristle at sometimes when people are like just move just move i'm like it's not that easy for everyone to just up and move if you have family in in this town, if you're not wealthy, it costs a lot of money to move. These other places where you might move to are now like Austin's not cheap anymore. It's certainly not as cheap as it was many years ago. And do you want to pay um, exorbitant amounts to move and be away from your family? And you're moving to a place usually that has, you know, not as great weather. I mean, there's always a cost benefit analysis you're making. But I also think that's kind of like an upper class solution. And the working class doesn't always have that mobility or ability or just disposable income. So when people are like, oh, you're in California, just move. I'm like, well, OK, I'm not a millionaire. You know, I'm not. I'm not in that we we're about to have a child. My mother-in-law lives here. If I move somewhere, do I dis dislodge myself from like my whole system of support, which is invaluable? Would you be able There's to take some, your staff with you as well? Um, they would come. Yeah, I mean, it's really just my cousin. It's not like um, I have this ginormous staff either. Like some of these other companies that have left LA. Um, and so, yeah, I think that would, that's not really a problem. We're still pretty like lean and mo and mean, but it's more just the things that you can't really put money on. You know, if I move to like Texas, for instance, which we are thinking about, I now have no family support. No, I'm now needing to pay for healthcare. I'm paying for a move. I'm 
like not a huge fan of the weather down there. I know people are like, oh, it's fine. I just always joke. I'm like, don't ever take advice from rich people about this stuff when they're like, it's fine. You won't even notice. I'm like, you have a pool. (laughs) You have like a central air conditioned pool house, like with boats. And, you know, I'm not. I'm not in that same league. I'm going to be in just like some freaking house on the flatlands and the outskirts. Uh, I don't have the same resources available to me to make I like my my neighborhood would probably be the neighborhood where the the grid goes down in the ice storm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck. People had some mad stories about that while I was out there. Talk to me about talk to me about being pregnant. Are you super duper pregnant now? Is this like um, I'm 27 weeks, so we're approaching the third trimester. Pretty big pregnant then. Yeah, we're in it. We're, uh, we're deep in the, deep in the woods, but not quite in the third trimester. It's, it's a trip, man. As like somebody who's a drug addict, I was joking the other day that it's a good thing I didn't do this when I was younger because I probably would have gotten addicted to it just cause it's such a trip. <laughs> Like, especially now that I can feel her and she's like, it's just so wild. I'm like, the, and the thing that I've been tripping out about a lot, probably because I've been listening to so much Alan Watts is how effortless it is. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. There are things I'm not doing to, you know, like not drinking, not smoking, trying to drink enough water, making sure that I take my multivitamins. But aside from that, this you're just along for the ride as much as she is and you read about what's going on and it's like what the (laughs) fuck like how she's down there just like learning her motor skills and her eyes are starting to blink and her hair is turning a color and i mean it's it's really wild the whole process every week where it's like this is the week that blah 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 happens and at first, my husband was just like, "I don't want to hear, it. I don't want to hear about how she's like got a tail." <laughs> um, in the early days, and now it's wild. You know, I feel her like tickling me from the inside and kicking and punching, and it feels very. It's just wild. It's really a crazy. It does all. It does. And then it reminds me like we all started out this way and we were these helpless little babies and and just seeing how dangerous pregnancy is. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot, too, just about how I was never really that interested in like I wasn't the kind of woman that bond over babies that got was um, like would see a pregnant woman and be like, oh, my God, and feel so longing. And I would be like, that looks uncomfortable as heck and um wouldn't really listen when like my siblings and sister-in-laws and friends would talk about their pregnancies and they'd all get together and they have this shared experience and I'd be like uh <laughs> like tune out even now last night the the girls in my like virtual mommy mommy support group that just kind of happened organically from my fantasy community actually which was amazing um they were talking about diapers and I was like, I really can't express to you how much I hate shopping. Like I just, I hate it so much. Thank God my husband is the consumer in the family, but I hate it. I've hated it for myself. I hate it for 
it's not something I can. So when people are like, what do you think about Huggies versus Pampers? Well, we like this bot. I'm like, I'm I, my eyes just checking out. And then I regret not listening because I know that that information you fucking is need gonna to, You're going to be asking yeah. for it in six months time. Guys, we've got exactly. these Huggies and this Pampers discussion going on here. Yeah, I mean, of all of the drugs that you've taken, estrogen and oxytocin are fucking up <laughs> and there. Progesterone, and progesterone, yeah. I'm <laughs> swimming in it. Swimming lines yeah, of progesterone in the morning. It's so wild. It's definitely... And it was such a surprise, and I think I'm still a little bit in shock, and a lot of stuff comes up just emotionally um, because you're hormonal, but also just fears and... Um, wanting, I, I really have also been just focusing on like how scary it is to allow yourself to want something. I just don't generally, I'm so superstitious of like joy and good things. And that's the hippie in you. It's also just my upbringing was kind of dysfunctional. So I'm like the, you don't get too comfortable because the rug is always getting pulled out from underneath you. And I think this is a very common experience of people who grew up in like, fight or flight constantly and um a lot of uncertainty and stability and dysfunction and you just are like people who grew up with alcoholic parent you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because inevitably it always would and in some ways that has prepared me exceptionally for being on platforms like YouTube, for example, <laughs> and, and saying things that might be beyond Rugpole. the pale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is like my upbringing any minute now. Somebody might kick me out. Um, and in other ways, it, it kind of robs me of allowing myself to experience joy in the present moment because I'm so worried that, you know, this bad thing's going to happen or like I don't deserve it or I don't. Um, yeah, that's, that's been like a constant struggle is trying to be like, cause there's all this also talk where like, you need to like do a meditation and just like envision the baby in your arms. And that seems kind of like magical thinking to me a bit where it's like, so if something happens, that's somehow because meditate I the like medical problem away. hard enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the, um, that's the brutal thing about one of my friends calls it uh, negative personal development that you often put problems that you have at the feet of you not trying hard enough. It's like mm. the, it's the other side of agency. So we, we don't want people to have a victim mentality, right? We want them to believe that they can do things that are going to impact their life. Look, you have control over some of the outcomes, but also if the people who succeed are worthy of their successes, what does that mean about the people who didn't succeed? Are they worthy of their losses? Is, right. some, is somebody that gets into a car accident when someone else hits them and they're disabled for the rest of it? Was that, was that like their fault? So yeah, there, there's yeah. this brutal sort of double-sided thing to a meritocracy. Yeah. Talking about fears as well, Aubrey Marcus, I spent a good bit of time with him while I was in Austin. He's got this awesome video. It's a clip from when he released his first book and he stood up there talking in front of a big crowd and he's saying, people ask me if I could go back, what would I change? And the only thing that I would change, I would do nothing different, but I would fear less. He said, I spent so much of my time when I should have been eating a sandwich or playing foosball or kissing a girl, worried that I wasn't going to get here, the place that I was coming anyway. How many right. hours and days and months did I waste worrying that I wasn't going to 
get right here, right now, the place I was going to arrive at in any case. And that's right. the weird thing. You, The neuroses and your fears, they take you out of the present moment, but I don't think they really contribute to where you're going. Like, look, I'm probably going to get the outcomes that I get in life, no matter how I think about them. My right. programming and talent or lack thereof is going to probably get me to the place that I end up at. And all that I get, the only difference about me fearing is that I make myself miserable in the interim between now and then. Yeah, and I think, too, there's so much kind of magical thinking in this, in uh, in the new age, like, law of attraction, um, because to a certain extent, your thoughts do create the world. You, it is, There is a balance of making sure, you know, there's that, that idea of, like, what you focus on, what you feed lives and what you starve dies. Um, I, I'm a big believer in like not invoking things, you know, it's just funny how you'll be cruising along and then have, uh, um, it's just funny how you can kind of invoke these things from your past that you might've put behind you just by like speaking about them. And then suddenly that person appears and you're like, ah, I never should have like had a conversation <laughs> with my sister about you. Cause now here you are. Fuck off. Uh, yeah, I just I put back in the box. I'm always like, put it in a box and smother it. Um, you need to kill that those things that aren't necessarily healthy or toxic. And but then there's this whole concept of like again this magical thinking as if this thing that's happening so effortlessly inside of me, with effort obviously, but truly kind of just in the way. Uh, in the way a flower would bloom like it's just this you can't I can't force it I can't rush it there's very little I have to do with the process much of it is genetic it's like when I first was pregnant I was so nervous I I was five weeks and it was like a basically a non-viable sack and I said to the OB like how do I make it stick and she was like honey if I knew that I'd be a billionaire on a private island it's like yeah no shit of course you would be that's a dumb question <laughs> Um, because so it's completely random and out of control. And to think that me, it's, it's like my therapist says that, that fear, that negative fear or that fear of like, um, I need to think positively about this. Or if I'm too excited about this, I'm somehow going to jinx it is a way of me trying to control something I have no control over. And she's like, it's magical thinking, you know, there's, there's, and there's a lot of it in, in the kind of like laws of positivity and as if, as if you could just like think your way out of cancer or, you know, and there, but again, there's a lot to be said for the power of positive thinking, but it's a very, it's a very tricky balance, I think. And it's, it's trying to be in control of something that I'm not in control of at all. And that's unsettling to me. <laughs> well, on top of that, celebrating motherhood is a weird thing right now. It's quite yeah. rare. You can't even say mother. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. You can't even say mother. Like, that's the kind of weird time we're living in where mother is like a word that is certain. Hang on. Have they, no, m mother's... I haven't seen mother get canceled. Oh, no. that's They're trying to get rid of that word, too. What do you say instead? Um, like a a person. I don't even know. Mother is seen as like a you know cis hetero way of viewing 
Interesting. Um, the okay. world, but, but yeah, yeah, it's not it's not celebrated. Motherhood doesn't seem to be like an admirable thing that girls are pushed to go and do. I mean, do you looking back on your twenties and thirties now? You know, on the cusp of being a mum, do you see At 43, that? Forty three, by the way. Yeah, geriatric mom. Technically, yeah. Uh, do you see it as different? Do you see your 20s and 30s like in a different way at all? Um, yes. I, I, although I was making choices that I was pretty aware of in my 20s and 30s. So I had, a, I'm the oldest of five and my siblings were all, um, they're in kind of smaller towns. They have families, they have kids, they're blue collar kind of working class um, and very rewarding, fulfilling lives. And I, I came to the city. I was very ambitious. I was, you know, had a lot of goals and dreams and aspirations. And um, I think I knew I was, I had to make these choices kind of along the way where I really believed I had to choose between family or success. Like this was some, I don't think it was, I don't think, look, I think looking back if you're to answer your question and my twenties and thirties, that was a false belief that I couldn't have a family and also be a, a successful creative artist. I dated a guy in my early twenties and he was like 20 years older than me, but I always called him my Picasso. He was a brilliant artist and he was, so self-disciplined and kind of would constantly re reiterate to me that like family would get in the way of being a successful artist. And I think I really internalized that because he was so successful, but so solitary and alone. And I don't know if he internalized that from his father who wanted to be an artist and had a family and could, you know, it's like some, I'm sure it was passed down. And really just looking at a lot of the writers and artists that I admired, they seemed like they were insanely self-absorbed. It seemed like that's what it took. And I didn't want to be a mother or even a wife to and be taken. I would end up resenting the kid and my husband. So I thought um, I didn't think I thought it would take away from all of that. So looking back, I don't think I, there was any kind of like illusion even in my 20s and 30s, I, I just knew I was making that choice. But it's a false choice. <laughs> that's what that's what I've come to learn. How do you mean? Like I, I have a loving husband who's so supportive of what I do and in fact enables me to feel even braver going out into the world and helps me around the house in ways that make it possible for me to thrive and is a is a co um, creator with me and not just like my cre our creativity, my creativity, but also in our world, you know, like it just in our house and um, and now we have a child and I thought that would overwhelm me and take away. But I think it's again, like when I was waiting tables all those years, I would have like two hours here and there to write. And there's a sense of urgency that I have been not devoid, devoid of the past three years because I'm still very busy, but I certainly don't have that pressure of like, you only have two hours today to write. So I've just found myself already writing more. And I, I think that having that um, 
and like she inspires me to want to do more to to work harder so I think it I I was looking at it as just like an all negative and it's really actually something that's added so much to my whole experience as an artist and create creative well it's rare to think that a woman would have chosen her career, you know, we do have had to have been for almost all of human history, a very particular type of woman to have elected to go after a career as opposed to a family. And I wonder now we've been talking about this a lot on the show. I wonder now how many women are kind of sold a lie by whatever culture, dominant culture it is at the moment that no, you can be a boss bitch and clap back. You don't need to settle for less. You can, you know, fulfill your life with, money and status and education and cats and uh, fucking three houses yeah and to then find out that they've missed out on getting a family or finding a partner or doing whatever yeah that that conversation is so vast you know there's so many and i've been i've thought so much about these things and now being 43 and being because I would bristle against this idea that like you're worthless without a child as a woman. And on the right wing, this is like a pervasive kind of mentality that seeps into a lot of the stuff that I started reading when I fell into the culture wars and I was writing a playboy. So, you know, when people are like, Oh, you know, why aren't you like fully on the right? If you've left the left. And it's like, I saw the way they talked to me when I was a playboy. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think these people who are speaking out against speaking on behalf of women and saying like, Oh, the, the women's experience is being co-opted by trans women. Like they don't give a shit about women. Like they're not fighting for women's rights. They're using this because it's something that they can, that it's effective in the culture wars, but like these are people who would happily say that women belong in the kitchen and having babies and jokingly will say some of us don't even shouldn't even be voting. So I'm not exactly buying that. Like this is out of some concern for women. Um, and so it's, I think it's complicated because I don't want women to feel like that should, because for all of human history, women didn't have a choice. They just did not have a choice. When you read and learn and like historically being a woman was shit. And it was, it just was forever. You had no choice. You couldn't get an education. You were property. You had no right in the public space. You were, you couldn't fight back if you were raped by your husband or anyone really um, with, with obvious circumstances that, are generally racist in tone. <laughs> like then, then there's, then there's that whole aspect. Like the, it's just been an absolute crap show for women. And only, which is why I do push back so hard against this idea that like trans women are women and can swim against us in swim meets. Cause I'm like, we just got these rights. No, they swim against we, each other. They don't swim against women. We just got them like 50 <laughs> years ago. It's not even like we've had them that long. And by the way, only not, not only like the whole world hasn't experienced this. I've been to India and Egypt and cultures where it's still very actually patriarchal. And so, um, you're hiding under veils and you're, you're not allowed to dance in the streets with the men. I just like bananas. You're still getting stoned. If you, 
if you are guilty of adultery and like the stuff is still happening. And that's what it was actually like for most women. So I have a lot. I mean, the name that we're giving my daughter is Matilda and we've been researching. People are like, oh, you have to read about this Queen Matilda in England. And apparently she's like the first woman who ever challenged the patriarchal lineage of the throne in England. And I've been reading her story and it's crazy. And she was she was erased from history, basically. And she I've never heard of Queen Matilda. Exactly. <laughs> and she's um and she had a son that she essentially like sacrificed herself. She fought these like war. I mean, it's a crazy story. And was erased, basically. And her son she, in order to save the throne for her son so that he was able to maintain it. And instead of fighting for it for herself and she was she was just a badass and there have been these women and so i think that then motherhood you know took on we had this kind of idyllic very brief time where um women had rights so it was like first wave feminism and then they were also having children and they were starting to work, but they had just more choice and more options. And during world war two, you saw so many of them participating and like helping the country and working in factories and coming together. And they really started seeing what they were capable of getting more of an education. And then you have kind of second wave feminism where suddenly we're shaking off all of the shackles of shame that, come with generally being treated like a baby making piece of property for thousands of years. And, and there's an overcorrection, I think, you know, the third wave feminism is basically like throw out womanhood entirely (laughs) being a, I remember I interviewed these three women when I was writing for Playboy and I never got to do anything with this interview. And I always loved it. It was three generations of feminists. And the grandmother, the youngest one, was like a woman who was all about free the nipple. She was like 19. And she was third generation, you know, third, third wave feminist, intersectional feminist. And her mother was talking and she was talking about how she chose to be a mom. And this was during the whole like, you know, 80s, like girl boss, shoulder pads, working girl. And all of the women were going to careers and they all got together with her favorite English professor who they all loved and looked up to. And when they were in a circle talking about what they were doing with their lives and she said she had chosen to be a mother, they basically like skipped over her completely. Like her role was just not relevant or important. And the pain in her voice when she was talking about this for making this choice was palpable. And the grandmother then was talking too, and she said something. She was like, I just think there's something to be said for a little modesty, you know, (laughs) in regards to her granddaughter who she supported, but she comes from a very modest, like greatest generation culture. And it was so interesting speaking to these women and seeing how quickly feminism evolved in the West. And really like women are doing well. We have more educated, more, it seems like we're more of us are educated than ever before higher earnings. We're doing all right. And in that, you know, I have a sister who's a stay at home mom and, and she's talked to me a lot about the struggle of not feeling like it's a valued 
role in society anymore. And I think it's like the most selfless role. And it's so hard. It's so hard to run a house and like raise children. It is just so the day in day out monotony of being a parent is, is so hardcore (laughs) and terrifying. And it's such a long, it is a marathon. It's not like a sprint at all. And so I think like that it's, I understand why there's this kind of reaction to never having a choice. Well, <laughs> like I think ever. A, one of the problems that a lot of women and feminists have is that we only just got the opportunity to be in the workplace and to be on a par with men if we allow motherhood to become too celebrated. Maybe that's going to be taken away from us. Maybe the opportunity for us to be seen on an, on a level playing field with men, almost as if, you know how you said, put it in the box and forget about it. That's <laughs> kind of a little bit what, yeah, well, motherhood's like, it's just a thing. It's that, that's a thing. It's kind of there, but that's like the, that's the fallback option. Let's see if you can go out. Let's see if we can make a career of it. And then if you can't, you can go. And yeah, it, it's trying to find a balance between women haven't had the number of rights that they should have done for quite a long time. And they've just got them has the baby and the bathwater and the motherhood all been thrown out together mm. so that that's no longer celebrated because there's you know if we're going to keep the population going we need to have mothers and there's this, yeah sorry go on just this huge concerns about population collapse at the moment that's what Elon tweeted about not long ago and if you look at the numbers it's not that unlikely this is a fucking mad stat that one of my friends told me the other day we could be close to being on the planet with the largest number of humans that are ever going to exist ever. But, but that's that whole, have you ever heard of like the 12 billionth person or whatever? There's this video that some, I don't remember. I feel like it might be associated with some Bill Gates foundation, but it was some kind of study they did where it's like the 12 billionth person will never be born because if you keep pulling people up out of poverty, generally they stop having as many kids. Yep. So the more you raise people up and lift them up, the smaller their families get because there's lower infant mortality. There's more opportunity. People start caring about things like population control because they're worried about resources. They're, they have more um, investment in sending two kids to college instead of you know four that need to work on the farm, et cetera. So there is this idea and you see this trend pretty much everywhere across the world. And then yes, there is rapidly declining populations in places like Japan and the West. And it is, um, you know, I think in, I think in California, like the only reason the population is expanding is because of our immigrant population. Generally that's the case in most of the Western cultures there. And so it's, um, obviously something that isn't problematic across the whole world yet um it seems like a particularly western problem that people discuss at the moment and i do think the idea that what worries me and what i've really been thinking a lot about obviously lately is the ways in which I felt I was lied to by the culture, by the West, my Western culture, because I, I want to be clear. I think this is a particularly Western 
um, like ideal and particularly Western feminist ideal where um, like I could sleep my way to kind of empowerment, which has not necessarily been my experience as someone coming from trauma, low self-esteem and addiction. <laughs> I don't think that that was the right pathway. Promiscuity was not the path to peace, <laughs> although I should write that book. And the idea that it seems reactive now to me, this ideal, because I've felt that reaction when someone's saying like, you aren't, you know, like they're the Gavin McGinnis's of the world who are basically like your ovaries are going to dry up and you're going to be an angry 40 year old and you're going to be worthless. And then you're going to be mad and you're going to go insane. And one time I was talking to Gavin, he's like, women who are 40 are going insane. I'm like, well, you've never met my mother then. Like she has five kids and she's freaking crazy. Like crazy isn't limited to a women B women without children and C like 40 year old women who have dried up ovaries or whatever the hell you're talking about. It's just, it's so reductive to say that this is, this is the case. And I understand like people who I vehemently disagree with about a lot of things, I guess like Jill Filipovich would be a great example. Who's this kind of feminist writer on the left. And she pushes back against this idea that like you need to have kids to be considered a woman and you're somehow less of a woman if you don't have kids and you don't experience motherhood and you're not, um, you're not participating in this biological kind of imperative. And so I understand the reaction to it, but then I worry that you're robbing yourself of something because you're reacting. In my case, I think I was reacting to feeling like I had to choose between a career and a family feeling like, um, feeling like I was reacting to some of the more religious and right wing rhetoric that I heard growing up around about women and motherhood that was very, that felt very antiquated to me. So and was, backwater. was sort of sleeping around in promiscuity, your rebellion against that. Um, and in, in many ways, I mean, I was also I think a reaction to being sexually assaulted. So it was like a way to take power back and um, uh, like a shame spiral that went on for decades. And um, I also have written about just how empowering it did feel to weaponize, like weaponize my sexuality, which is why I've always had weird issues with me too, because I'm like, eh, <laughs> like, I've definitely used my sexuality to manipulate men. This doesn't seem like powerful men and like men whose lives I could ruin. This doesn't seem like a one way street. Like I'm not sure that maybe everyone is viewing this. Like I, I had some agency in these, in these moments. So that was always, yeah, it's complicated. Like I feel like I fall in the cracks of like a lot of these issues and Given my experiences, I'm able to view them from multiple perspectives, which is sometimes not to my benefit. I wish I could just be like, yeah, those feminists were wrong. But I'm like, they're not wrong. You know, that, and I'm seeing this even in the way that kind of women are being erased now with this new, like, I, I don't know, dare I. Is I think the word like radical feminist uses trans misogyny, you know, where you're seeing this kind of. And I joke about this all the time, like the patriarchy is so crafty, they'll turn themselves into women 
<laughs> so that they can stay on top. <laughs> like women got to the top. And then men were like, "Yeah, no, that's not happening. We're we're gonna we're gonna ascend again." <laughs> and so they're, and then seeing how much like women fought for, and also just like the right to have some agency and like th- their reproductive health and their health at all, and still just the areas where like. Black infant mortality rates are still disturbing. Maternal mortality rates. There's still huge discrepancies in in that kind of care all over the world. Um, so it's not like women are just killing it, <laughs> like all over the world. They're being sold into sex slavery. COVID has exacerbated a lot of these problems. Domestic abuse. We know there's how many women get killed every year by like a partner or somebody that they were with. It's it's all tragic. I know the UK is having a big problem with a lot of like violence against women. And I just I'm like women have like borne this the like humanity on their backs and in their wombs for the entire span of, of our whole entire history. And I have a lot of compassion for people who fight for rights for women. And I worry that that baby will be thrown out with the bathwater as we react to the like feminist, you know, feminists, because now I see the backlash swinging the other way where it's like, oh, all these feminists and this is this is the end of the world. And I, you know, I loved what Ayan Hirsi Ali said when she was on my podcast. You can tell how well a society is doing by how well their women are doing. And like the quality of a woman, do they have access to education, healthcare? Are they, how free are the women in your culture? That is generally representative of how well your culture is doing. And is there such a thing as too much freedom? Hmm. I mean, in, in what, in so I'm what just thinking set? about freedom from norms, freedom from not expectation, but from, Predisp- I don't know, like, predisposition. I've never had to answer that question. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, like, you know, like, well, one of the we've got. That I'm like, would you ask out of like a, a white dude? Like, well, yeah, I think so. Like, if you were to say, <laughs> have you ever been too free, bro? <laughs> I think so. I think if yeah. you say, if you you're not expected to go out and get a job, you're now the guy that smokes weed and plays Xbox on the couch. But we- I, is that true? Well, I think that one of the things that you would say about the modern world is that masculinity doesn't really have a very firm place to stand at the moment. I think that there is a little bit of a crisis amongst men, not knowing what elements of their like typical heroic masculine traits they're allowed to cling onto and which ones of them have kind of been thrown out righteously and which ones perhaps were baby and bathwater that went out with it as well. Okay, so hang on, what's like what what have we got left here between fucking incels and MGTOW and red pill and black pill and simps and cooks and only fans and soy boys. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fucking moving parts for men as well. And it's not, uh, the question wasn't like, is there a limit that should be placed on the freedom that women have? It's trying to work out. Can you, can you push it to the point where women no longer see traditional roles as aspirational anymore because they're constantly looking to progress past them. And this is that, you know, motherhood not necessarily being um, held in high esteem very much anymore because 
what's new, what's more progressive, what's more recent is the thing that just inherently gets held as, oh, well, this this must be the thing that all of the women are supposed to do. I think mm-hmm. that I honestly, honestly think that between sort of like incel culture, MGTOW um, and NoFap, you've kind of got the men's area of the world with that as well. Like, look, we were we were promised a future that we're not going to get. So we're mm-hmm. going to do something that is so different to typically what we would have done starting a business having a job nine to five finding finding a wife starting a family that sort of stuff you get these sort of culture counterculture and that's the dynamic that you're talking about right swinging between left and right um yeah it seems more like a cop-out to me having experience with all those groups though it's like oh so things aren't going your way like that the way I feel about that whole group that you just described and I have a lot of compassion for them because I really try to even as cruel and horrific as they've been to me in the past is that um welcome to the thunderdome bitch like a lot of us have been fighting for scraps and having to compete in an in a meritocracy but still not having the same access I've been around plenty of boys clubs in my life they do exist it helps when you can go golf and and talk about business. Like there are things that just get done and people want to deny that and act like that's not true. And I'm not really one to like throw, again, I think words like racism and sexism in this kind of world get thrown out. And now it's like, they still exist. <laughs> these things, these concepts do exist. They're overused. And I think we we have destroyed the meaning of those words. But it's not to say that people haven't been fighting against these things and rightfully had to fight against, um, you know, the the uh, fallout from that years and decades and generations later. And so suddenly this like crew of men who's like, we don't we're like, OK, you can still go start a job. I didn't get everything I wanted and I still had to like pick myself up. And figure it out, you know. I I didn't start like murdering men. Like I just don't. It feels like a little bit of an excuse to me. Like oh, these feminists they aren't sleeping with us, so we're gonna go shoot some women or like go whatever. Like I, it just feels like uh that feels hyper hyper reactive to me. You know, I don't see like feminists. Um, there's a lot of issues I have with modern feminism that I could that I have taken them to task for, but I still don't see women being like, "Well, I guess we're gonna give up and just sit you on know, the couch and finger myself the for the rest of the day." Weed yeah. because yeah. we don't have that option. I don't have that, and I also disagree that that's necessarily the case. And I've only had to learn this because I I raged so hard against like trust fund babies, for example, and I'm always like, I fucking hate trust fund babies because <laughs> I grew up around them and. I find them intolerable often, but I've learned because I've had to um, have a lot of compassion. They didn't ask to be born into those circumstances any more than somebody who was born into poverty, being born into immense wealth. And it comes with a lot of its own problems and dysfunction and craziness. And now a lot of those kids are messed up, obviously, but so are a lot of poor kids and so are a lot of middle class kids. A a lot of them take that opportunity and they grow and they do stuff with it and they don't have to work a day in their life. And they still do. I know so many people who have taken the opportunities 
of their inherited wealth and family names, and they've built upon them for no reason. So I think that's a really interesting point to make that the how unpopular of a viewpoint is it to say trust fund babies they're the ones that need our compassion like those are the <laughs> the ones that we really really need to think about how hard it is to be born in the hamptons and you know trust to... me i have a lot of issues with trust fund babies i come from newport rhode island like this is the <laughs> old this is the original playground of the rich yeah. and those people still exist so and that but that group of people having a conversation where you can go look Maybe they do face some challenges. Maybe this does suck for them. Being able to sit with that discomfort and not just have a reactionary response that appears on your Twitter feed or in a YouTube oh, comment. No, that does happen oh, on no, my Twitter but, feed. Yeah, I, I, I know. But being able to get past that, right, and to sit with mm -hmm. that bit of discomfort is the same thing as the guys that are adamant that um, society is going to accept women and give them um, encouragement because their emotions matter and mine don't, or the women right. that say men still have access to the workplace and fundamentally we are being held down. There is a glass ceiling above us. It just appears in a more subversive and invisible way. Now, you know that all of this, there's obvious low resolution ways to look at an argument and say, here is a, here is the most extreme version of this situation that means that this conversation isn't going to happen. Right. But the, like the interesting stuff is when you go, okay, so let's play both sides here. Let's think about what the difficulties are of somebody that gets born into incredible wealth. Like, do, you, do they get drawn into drugs and like over partying and stuff A lot. As, as much as somebody in poverty? I would probably guess Almost exactly the same. Probably the same. Yep. Well, they, you know, they've done these studies on depression and they've found that the highest rates of depression are generally in and um, are in the lower class and in poverty, essentially. And it's usually undiagnosed because how do you even know you're depressed if your life is just shit? <laughs> you know, so it's like they they just think like, well, why wouldn't I life. be depressed? Yeah. But the second highest rate is in the highest echelons because they feel like I have everything and I'm still depressed. And that's interesting to me because I think one of the things I've found from experiencing billionaires kids is um, that they'll never really have the opportunity to know struggle which sounds weird but it's it's like even if they fight and they'll have their own kind of struggles but they're not going to know what it it feels like ever to put like build something from the ground up out of nothing or from very little and we all have help and i always think about this behavioral economics monopoly study that i'm so obsessed with and talk about all the time where they gave people um they gave people lots of money and extra turns and other people less money and not as many turns. And then they observe them playing monopoly and the, and they put like bowls of pretzels in the middle of the table and the people who had less turns and less access and, and just were started off at a disadvantage. They, their body language was reflecting it. And the people who had more were eating the pretzels. They were just more entitled. They were really cocky they were kind of talking smack, even though they started with extra turns and more money. And at the end of the game, when they would interview people, the people who had extra turns and money always attributed their win to 
decisions that they made, <laughs> not like any of the extra things that they got. And that really got me thinking about this idea of a meritocracy and how, yes, I do think in our culture, like in America, I was I was married to an immigrant, my first marriage from Belarus. And seeing how much access, I was like, if this guy who speaks no English can like pick himself up and come here with nothing at 19 years old and figure it out, I've got to be able to freaking figure this system out too. Come on. Uh, it's like sheer entitlement for me to think that I can't and laziness. And so observing that from his perspective and seeing how much he's built in the time that he's been here. Um, and so many of the like immigrants that I know, the restaurant I just worked at, these guys came and they were literally dishwashers and they started a juice bar and now they have like a amazing restaurant chain that's fantastic. And these they are the American dream. They're just incredible. And came with nothing, with nothing. And that is, you can't do that everywhere. That is, that is something that is, when people are like, it's not a meritocracy. I'm like, you really can't do what you can do in America and a lot of the places in the world. And people still would kill to come here. Um, but that being said, <laughs> there does seem to be like a general lack of awareness about uh, where where people started <laughs> and, and having, you know, even even with my background being fraught with difficulties and um, a lot of dysfunction, I still had I, I still had access. I I wasn't starving. You know, I, I I'm aware that I had a roof over my head. There are certain things I didn't have to really think about. There were other things I did, but you just kind of are. You, you deal with the hand you're dealt, I guess. And that seems to be something. And then, you know, I love Sam Harris. So he's talking about like moral luck and this um, concept that you were kind of talking about in the beginning. Well, does somebody who works super hard and gets in a freak accident on their way home and now they're in a wheelchair and it totally changes your life forever. Um, that had nothing to do with how hard they worked or didn't work, you know, just sheer luck. There's so much of it that's random and out of our control. And the problem I think I have with the culture right now is that everything feels like a zero sum game. Like it's, it's, we, it's not like free markets or social safety nets. You know, we need, balance. We need people need help. People aren't born into the same circumstances and we shouldn't punish them for that. That being said, I don't know that everyone deserves just handouts <laughs> for But this is it. This is and for no for nothing. Well, you, it's, you see it's this complicated. You see this dialogue play out in conversations like mm -hmm. victim mentality and victor mentality and trying to find a balance between the two. Like some people have had a rough ride of it and right. they, you'd need to pat them on the back and they deserve compassion and the compassion will help them be more effective. And it's the right thing to do in a society that has more than it needs. Right. And on the flip side of that, you don't want to, there was this future of fitness article that was just put out by self magazine that I had some things to say about that was basically <laughs> providing like high calorie chicken soup for the soul for people that didn't want to go to the gym and telling them that the gym was this yeah. scary place that they didn't ever want to go. The, the reason that fat people aren't going to the gym is not 
um, their weight, it's internal, it's fat phobia. The problem is with everybody else. And you right. think, fuck, right, okay. So between total free market and molly coddle everybody from cradle to grave, like <laughs> there, there has to be something that's in the middle. And right. I wonder, I know that you've been t- talking on your Substack recently about like social media and, and as a communication tool, like, as a domain, what it does to the way that we think. I think that a big part of it is that it's such a low resolution tool to be able to have a conversation. You know, Twitter's what, 280 fucking characters or something? And you you can't get across nuance on there. You can't get across detail. You can't even get across caveats. You can get across but, the headline and that's it. Yeah, it's true. And I but I also see like the the explosive world of podcasts as a balance to that. You know, they're they're I always joke podcasts are going to save the world because we're having this conversation right now and trying to wrestle with these things like feminism is important. And I was the girl in high school who was like, I, my, my English teacher used to say, you are going to set us back like 50 years, (laughs) (laughs) women back like 50 years. Cause she was, she was the first, you know, you always have that like English teacher that exposes you to feminism when you're a young girl in the West and, or someone. And she exposed us to it and was really feminist and kind of taught us all about it. And I was like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, why do I want to be in the rat race? I don't want to like, why can't a guy hold a door open for me? I like it. I like a little chivalry and I don't, I I'm fine with just, I love cooking. Like I'm fine with him going out there making money and me being in the kitchen. And she would just like roll her eyes because I just thought, (laughs) I was just like, why do we want to do this? Like, why do we want to work? Why are we fighting to work? Um, and I understand why, because there's autonomy. You have financial freedom is huge. I see, you know, a lot of my female friends who are perhaps dependent on, I mean, I have like a deep fear of being dependent on anyone, um, particularly financially. So there's just a lot of reasons that you would want to be able to go out and make your own way that I don't think I fully understood, even as a like hustler, little 16 year old. And, and also just learning more about first wave feminism, getting older, seeing like even just in this like mommy group chat, just hearing and, and hearing the struggles of women now who are working and are breadwinners often trying to balance that and raising kids and the actual just craziness of childbirth and the danger and raising kids in this society that's so unstable and crazy right now and with uh, in a pandemic you know we're all like I was thinking about this the other day and it's so sad to me what's happened with this pandemic in terms of the way it's absolutely got all of us at each other's throats and I've seen so many of my friends be just completely radicalized by this thing which I understand the reasons for it. But I think about like, they were doing this whole thing about global literacy and how it's, we, in the West, it's so Western focused. Like a, the conversation is so, so focused on the West. And I feel like so much of the big picture gets left out. And they were talking about just globally, how, take away like how this affected inner city kids in America or in the UK globally the poorest countries these kids lost years and they're never getting them back some of them 
lost opportunities to get education at a time when it meant get an education or be sold into sex slavery, you know, or start working in, they're just dealing with different challenges. We went to South Africa for our honeymoon in February and seeing how, like, if you're already on the brink and you're going to get, you're going to get pandemic will push you over the edge. It'll push you over the edge. And these countries don't have their government printing money and handing it out to all their citizens. It's just not, that's not happening. So you're, you're already on the rails of poverty and now tourism is done and you rely on tourism. And you, I saw this when I was in Egypt right after the revolution. And this is, I don't know, this is an area where I try to be so mindful of just how, and it drives me crazy about the conversation a lot of the time that we are all having is that it feels very, um, still feels very privileged for lack of a better word. You know, we're still, we're not even considering how this has affected like a, a large, enormous population of the globe. And everybody's been affected by this. Everybody, every single one of us, everyone has suffered. Somebody, some people didn't get to see their loved ones die. People in other countries haven't been able to see their family in other countries. People, the ways in which this has affected every single person on the globe is endless and will have reverberations for decades to come. And yet we still feel like it's just happening to us. You know, like that's why the, Which, that's the mad thing. We're, we're so fucking connected, right? We can, we're connected yeah. basically to everyone on the planet and yet still so myopic about what it is that we look at. It's only yeah. the thing that's directly in front of us. So I'm big into existential risk, right? The ways, the different ways that humanity could go extinct and permanently curtail its genetic lineage. I mean, it's a miracle we haven't already. Uh, wait, I, <laughs> give us about 50 years. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. But... I was sure, I, I sure, I hoped that a global pandemic would be, it would remind us of our common humanity, right? There's yeah. this, I can't remember who it was. It's one of your, your presidents that said, imagine if there was an alien race that was going to come and destroy us all. Imagine how quickly boundaries would be forgotten and all of humanity would pull together. Like that sort of one world thing that astronauts that have gone out into space apparently have. They look back and they realize that it is so fragile. It's all one... Um, and I thought there was a brief period, whatever, in March, April 2020, where I honestly thought that that might be the case, that this, bizarrely, this pandemic could be one of the best things that had ever happened to us, because I knew what it was like to be in Austin, Texas, or to be in Ghana, or to be in Wuhan, China, or to be in New Zealand, or whatever, right? Everybody didn't know what was going on. Everyone was fearing for their life. Everyone's scared of this invisible virus that you can't see, that you don't know where it's come from, that you don't know what it's going to do. That's the most... There's never been a situation ever, ever in human history where every human on the planet has been impacted by something and had such a relatable experience. And then within fucking 60 days, it's Tiger King and fucking like arguments about whether it's a virus leak from Wuhan and you completely forgotten. And maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's not possible. Maybe it isn't possible to have 7 billion people with nation states and tribalism and individual identities and my own agenda. Maybe it's impossible to have that. But briefly and foolishly, I thought that maybe we were going to be brought together by it. 
in what respect, um, what would that have looked like if we were brought together less and, and a, maintained it? So less tribalism, more of an understanding, like you said, less of a myopic view of just us, you know, mm-hmm. more empathy for the person that is suffering that isn't directly in front of us. Mm-hmm. Fuck, this was hard. Well, hang on. If it's hard for me, then the person that's already in a shitty situation that's in poverty fuck it must be really hard for them and the Mm -hmm. person that i think has it all sorted out well actually maybe it's hard for them as well and maybe it's hard for the person that is my racial opposition or my ideological opposition or my fucking commercial competitor whatever like all of these things um but it wasn't a big enough dose you know if you could see the virus like a vaccine the dose of the vaccine was nowhere near high enough. It was nowhere near a big enough catastrophe to bring us together. Right. Nowhere I know. Near I big always enough. joke. I always joke. I'm like, it was just enough to like shut down the economy, but not so much that it united us. I'm like, it's almost like it was created in a lab. <laughs> just to piss everybody off. <laughs> just like destabilize fuck, shit. fuck life for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like between the woo flu and, and like, TikTok and like China's messing us up. Fucking ruining um, us. They don't does, even need to go to war. There's this thing is- that you put on your Substack that I thought was really interesting. You said, we've been tricked into thinking we need to care about everything. Every birthday, every life event, every social movement. Social media has trained us to believe that we should not only care, we should have an opinion. It doesn't matter how far from our lane we drift. Suddenly we are experts in shipping, nuclear power, Iran, or epidemiology, even if we had to Google what that word meant just 15 months ago because we read a Wikipedia article and watched a few YouTube videos. The truth is most of us know a lot about a couple of things and we and next to nothing about everything else. It's so unpopular to not have an opinion on everything I now. Know. Fuck. I don't know. I'm very comfortable not knowing anything. And I feel like that's people joke to me. I, I always joke. I'm like, I don't know anything. And people are like, you sell yourself short. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm not an expert in anything. There are people who are actually experts. They devote their life to learning one thing. They know a lot about that thing. They have, they've, you know, focused intently on developing a skill or a practice or something like I'm I'm not one of those people. I know I was joking just yesterday. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to start my mommy blog because the only thing I'm really good at is like navel gazing interior monologues. <laughs> and, and I know me. I know myself. But I was talking to my husband and I we were we were talking about this just how um and I've talked about this before being an addict. I was like, I wonder if it's because I'm an addict and I just fundamentally don't trust myself. Like I'm hyper aware when you recover from addiction you are hyper aware of your capacity to lie to yourself and others others in in pursuit of your addictive behavior and myself and just delusion and he was talking about this quote that he was like i'm going to butcher but it was something about how um are we really learning anything new or are we just rearranging our prejudices to like better suit us and and it's from some famous there like you know psychiatrist or something and i was thinking a lot about that you know are we just kind of rearranging our biases to be just to confirm what we're already kind of believing and a lot of these I there there's always these little like things that pop up and 
I think I'm also just very contrarian by nature. So I was very like I made my T-shirt. You're not woke. You're annoying back in like 2018. And now I want to take it down because woke. I'm like annoyed that I feel like woke is being overused. You know, I was like, oh, this was funny, like when nobody knew what woke was. But now it feels like a right wing talking point. And um, I've. I'm always aware of how I'm being reactive, just being like an an addict. And I was thinking a lot about I've been really just on. On it about like how a lot of these pandemic policies have affected the people that ostensibly, particularly the left claims to care about, like poor kids who are losing years of their education and can't go to the playgrounds and like all the rich kids I know had tutors in their backyards and Wi-Fi and iPads, you know, that not everybody has this access. And generally these things hurt the poorest always disproportionately. They're always going to suffer the most from anything. And so I've been raging against that for months and months and months. And I was, I definitely, my, like left-wing idealism in the beginning of the pandemic. And I think just fear, like nobody knew what this was. I was definitely like, yeah, maybe we should shut it down for two weeks. And on the right, there were people who were like, this is insane. They're never going to take, I was like, calm down, you guys. And now I've written about it. I'm like, I was so wrong. I take it back. I did not realize that if you give control to these people, they don't ever give it back. And I will never make that mistake again. It was tra- traumatizing. I think that's the lesson. Learn. Fuck. That is the biggest lesson that so many people have taken. So I've said this a lot. I don't I don't have like a conspiratorial bone in my body usually. No. I think that's very much a British thing. But I don't think about the globalist elite and their grand <laughs> plan to take the NSA, well, they did this with Project Mockingbird and blah, blah. I'm like, right, okay, okay, cool. But (laughs) I just don't, I'm not usually there. I'm not usually in that mode of thinking. But holy shit, if the last two years hasn't eroded every last bit of trust that I have, not only that the people in power and the press are acting in good faith because they're not, not Mm. only that they're not acting competently because they're not, but also that they don't care about being either malicious or uh, negligent. Like, it's this perfect, perfect fucking blend of idiocy and self-serving malice and just not not a fuck given. It's that all put together. Did you watch, I I pulled this quote out the other day. Did you watch uh, Don't Look Up? No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so there's this quote in that, the Kate Dibiaski, one of the scientists, and she says, the truth is way more depressing. So this is someone's talking about conspiratorial thinking. There's Mm -hmm. this asteroid coming. Oh, it's actually a plan for blah, 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 and people are going to use it to take over control. The truth is way more depressing. They're not even smart enough to be as evil as you're giving them credit for. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that has been something I've really been thinking a lot about. And then this recent conversation about like this kind of idea, like, oh, I'm over the pandemic, you know, that language that was popping off lately. And, and I don't know, I have, I have in-laws who are nurses and stuff like that. And it, it just depends on where you're sitting. Like that to me, like I'm over it. It's like a, I got mad when I was hearing that, not because I don't have similar feelings. Like in some respects, I'm like, 
well, I've always been over this on behalf of the working class because you're saying this as someone who had a choice about whether or not you could work during the pandemic. Like you do know many people worked and never stopped working and just like kept on working through the whole thing and didn't have a choice. Imagine about how over it you'd be if you were a frontline nurse. Yeah, exactly. And imagine, and, and I, and it's two years in and the numbers of people who are, you know, pre, it's just like, I don't know what that's like. And you're watching people die and there are people who might not have to die. Like how frustrating I might be a, a radicalized TikTok nurse, you know, t- calling for Joe Rogan's banning if I was on the front lines of an of a like place that was experiencing this over and over, and I had had to personally witness like hundreds and thousands of people die. I don't, I don't, I just don't. And I have as much as like the disdain I have for teachers' unions and their decisions, particularly like LAUSD, which is one of the most ridiculous mafias in the world. I have a lot of compassion for teachers that their job isn't easy. They're dealing with parents, administration, kids. They're generally underpaid. There's administrative bloat that's destroying public schools. They are on freaking GoFundMe raising money for supplies every year. Like it doesn't seem, it seems like a thankless job that you do because you're called to it. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it's easy for me. It's easy for me to just sit in judgment. And I, I've been really like hyper aware of that lately. I feel like, and I also feel like after years of getting caught in the crossfire of the culture wars, being somewhat radicalized um, by being rejected by what I thought were my friends. You know, it's hard when your real life friends are rejecting you and following you and you're feeling consequences of maybe having wrong think. And... I was always aware of being kind of weaponized on the right as like, oh, see this like liberal who woke up from the commie spell she was under. <laughs> Why I left the left, yeah. Yeah, that. It's very, I get it. It's so common. And, and I hear this story every day. Like we, our last episode of Dumpster Fire, we asked people to tell us like, w- was there a moment you were red-pilled or purple-pilled purple or black-pilled? And, um, why, when was it, or was it a process? And the emails I'm getting are fascinating. Like they're whole entire stories from people. And this does seem to be something like malice talks a lot about where it's just, he sees it as a positive that there's an overall just distrust in the institutions from top to bottom. And I worry though, because if there's nothing that people can grab onto, they grab onto conspiracy theories. You know, they're, they're going to reach for things that aren't necessarily serving them that are there to weaponize and manipulate them. And it's even a conspiracy. Like every 2021 is the year. Everyone became a conspiracy theorist in the whole world. <laughs> There's a, so I, I got to tell you about this. I, I learned this last year. Um, it's called compensatory control. 
So this is a psychological uh, effect. Where are we? Matthew Syed came up with this, and he put it in The Times. So I read this last year. Uh, Psychologists have conducted experiments to shed light on why people lose or at least suspend rationality. One experiment asked people to imagine going to a doctor to hear an uncertain medical diagnosis. Such people were significantly more likely to express the belief that God was in control of their lives. Another asked participants to imagine a time of deep uncertainty when they feared for their jobs or the health of their children. They were far more likely to see a pattern in meaningless static or to infer that two random events were connected. This is such a common finding that the psychologists have given it a name, compensatory control. When we feel uncertain, when randomness intrudes into our lives, we respond by reintroducing order in some other way. Superstitions and conspiracy theories speak to this need. It is not easy to accept that important events are shaped by random forces. This is why, for some, it makes more sense to believe that we are threatened by the grand plans of malign scientists than the chance mutation of some silly little microbe. Mm. I love that. I love this whole conversation. I mean, that's another rabbit hole. I, Brene Brown talks a lot about this, actually, about conspiracy theory and the role it plays in storytelling. Essentially, we as humans have this need to make sense of the world and tell ourselves a story. And in the absence of something that makes sense or uncertainty, we will we will turn to conspiracy because it helps us to make complete sense. the story. The yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And just the, the human need for a story that makes sense to them, even if as crazy as it might be. And it's often just stupidity, incompetence. You know, this is where I love Michael Shermer's perspective is he's such a skeptic. It's like, yeah, just straight and narrow. Um, you know, his, the, and my husband's very much like this too, where, cause I lean, I think I'm, I think I indulge in conspiracy theories cause I think they're fun. That's always been my relationship with conspiracy theories. Like I've said before, I, I believe in past lives because it's more interesting for me to believe. It's just a more, in, you can't prove to me that it isn't real. And it's more interesting for me to believe that I'm going to choose the more entertaining <laughs> yeah. of the two options. It's just, yeah. I'm a writer. I'm going to choose what's more interesting to me. Um, but my husband, when it comes to like conspiracies, he's that like how many people would have to be in on this and keep this a secret for it to be true? Just how what are the he's like, how many people do you know can keep a secret? Like maybe one, <laughs> you know, there's, it's not not many people are great this at that. Globalist cabal of and, people wearing those fucking long nose. <laughs> the beaks. Things. Why, yeah. Why from the, the beaks. Well, I don't know because where did that come from? Because they're fucking Slipknot fans, maybe. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I don't fucking know. Look, Bridget, let's bring this home. I really appreciate you coming on. This where should so people fun. go? Where should people go? They want to check out what you do. Um, you can go to my Substack, which is Beyond Parody with Bridget Fantasy, on it's Bridget Fantasy at dot Substack or whatever. You can go to my locals community, which is where we have a tribe <laughs> of tribeless people. It is very tribeless. It's a very um, wacky group. And we have workouts for the women and we do live streams. And that's at fetacy.com. And I put a lot of stuff behind the paywall. It's more personal. Um, and also just more my own like life. And, um, we also do the unedited dumpster fires there. You can find me on YouTube we have a show dumpster fire now a podcast as well. I have a podcast walk-ins welcome, um, which you should come on for sure. 
And you can find me at Bridget Fantasy on all social media. Amazing. Thanks, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget that my three-minute Monday newsletter is officially the best newsletter on the internet or your money back. So head to chriswellex.com slash books to sign up free. You'll also get a list of my 100 most interesting and impactful books that I've ever read. chriswillex.com slash books. Go and sign up now. Also, don't forget you can get a 20% discount off Mission Tea's performance hot and cold drinks by going to missionuk.com and the code MW20. And you can get the perfect straight smile you have always dreamed of, 70% cheaper than other Invisible Align methods by going to dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom. I'll see you next time.